Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. First of all, I want to wish you a happy 2020 New Year, and I'm praying blessings on you and everybody in your home that God will do great things for you in this challenging year. You know, 2020 is an unusual number. I've been waiting for this year for several years. I look forward to it. Say, so, well, we're like five years away from 2020 or three years away. And for me, every time I think about that number 2020, I always associate it with sight because people say we have or they have 2020 vision. It's sort of been the benchmark or the standard for vision, you know, to have 2020 vision. Well, I didn't know what 2020 vision meant till just this week. It seems that 2020 vision means you can see at 20 feet what a normal person can see at 20 feet. Of course, I don't know how you would diagnose that because what's a normal person? But in any event, that's it. You can see at 20 feet what the normal person can see at 20 feet. Well, I think because of that expression, 2020 vision, it's hard for us to hear that number 2020 without associating it with sight or vision. So today in this brief message, we're going to ride that wave of association and I'm going to be bringing you a message that I believe that God has for me to give you today called 2020 vision, I can see clearly now. Now, there's a good biblical reason for why we're making this application because oftentimes the Bible compares our ability to navigate life spiritually with physical sight. Oftentimes God uses the metaphor of sight in the Bible, uh, like eyes and vision, to communicate to us the importance of being able to process what's really real in life spiritually. Let me give you a couple of verses. First one's Ephesians chapter 1, which by the way, if you're a God follower, this is a great verse for you as you begin 2020 because Paul is praying for the believers in the church at Ephesus. And it could be a New Year's prayer. I don't know that it was, but it, was, it sort of sounds like that. And Paul is praying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's interesting. I mean, we think about the eyes of our head. But now Paul's talking about something completely different. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, and he's going to list three things. Number one, the hope to which God has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power to those of us who believe. Now, here's what Paul is saying in that verse. He's saying that even as Christ followers, we can be blurry on three areas. The promises that God has for us and how they impact our lives, the very blessings he's giving us today. And then the power that is available for us to live a different kind of life. That's what we're going to be talking about in February. So hear Paul's prayer. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can see spiritually these three things. Now, when Paul accepted Jesus and Jesus met him on the Damascus Road, 
Jesus gave him vision for what Paul was going to be doing, and he used that same metaphor of sight to explain. God said to Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes. He's not talking about physical sight here. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And one thing that we see over and over in Scripture is a reference to those who are spiritually blind. Why the connection? Why does God often compare physical sight to spiritual sight. Well, work with me, please, through a couple of very basic constructs. Sight is what allows us to process reality. In other words, without sight, you don't know what your surroundings are. If you don't believe that, just try walking through your house with all the lights off, and you'll discover reality in your house that you didn't know existed. Reality will come to meet you. It is why when you go to take a driver's exam, you have to have an eye exam because the powers that be don't want you navigating a 5,000-pound automobile if you can't process the visual reality around you. I mean, how many accident explanations begin with the statement, I didn't see blank. I didn't see the other car. I didn't see the pedestrian. I didn't see the stop sign. didn't see the tree. Now, that's what sight does. Sight allows us to, in, to process reality around us. And then one more thing. Once we're able to process reality, we're able to interpret that reality in order that we know what we can do. In other words, seeing does not make me a driver. Seeing helps me. I know where the road is. I know where the turns are. I know where the signs are. I know where the other drivers are. But seeing doesn't actually change lanes for me. When I change lanes, I have interpreted the reality that I've seen, and now I'm making a decision, hopefully a good decision, driving based on that. So when God talks to us about spiritual sight, what he's talking about is us having the ability to process the reality around us, to interpret it with wisdom, and to make good decisions. Guys, I'm just going to be straight with you in this message. Our times are desperately calling for people who can see spiritually. Our, our times are begging for people who have the ability to actually process reality, to interpret it correctly and make good decisions. We live in a volatile culture. And between you and me, I think 2020 is probably going to be a challenging year for us to live. I mean, they're all challenging. But we're entering another election season, and we're, we're polarized and so for those of us who are God followers, it's going to be so important that we don't get caught up in the foolishness of those who don't know how to process reality. It's so important for us to be God followers so that we're available to help those who can't see clearly. So with that in mind, this ability to see clearly spiritually, if we're going to have that vision for 2020, we have to overcome three problems. And I want to talk to you about them and then we'll be through. The first thing that we have to overcome is spiritual nearsightedness. Now, some of us know what it's like to be physically nearsighted. In nearsightedness or myopia, you, you, you can see things if they're up close, but you can't see distance very well. Now, there are people around us who that is their issue in spiritual terms. They can see what's going on right now. They're just not very good with distance. It's like they, they never can connect the dots because they can't look forward a week or six weeks or a year. It's just like all they can see is what's right there in their face. Well, 
I, have a, I need to tell you real quickly, I have a love-hate with a popular expression here in the United States. Um, and the reason why I love it is when it's spoken in its right context, it's a good statement. But out of its good context, it's really bad. And that's the statement in the moment. Uh, so I never know what people mean by that. If being in the moment means you're fully invested in what's going on, you're paying close attention and, and you're, you're living fully invested in what's happening, it's a good statement. If a person means they're not looking down the road, it's a catastrophically foolish statement. So it's critical for us, if we're going to be successful in the times that you and I live in, to be able to see distance. Let me for just a few moments talk about a few very practical areas where this concerns me. First of all, being able to see distance is really important when it comes to how you treat other people and the way we talk to other people. Um, I'm thankful for social media. It's got a lot of good applications. And the stuff that I see that most of you guys post is, is, is really, really good and optimistic and factual. But I think there's a side effect to social media that troubles me. It's like Social media has taught us that we need to comment on everything instantly. Now, those are two bad things put together. They're, they're, they're really tough. But could I just let us all know, we don't have to respond to everything. We don't have to comment on everything that happens. And here's the thing. If we comment without thinking, if we don't see distance, if we don't look down the road, if we comment without thinking, we're going to have to wind up being embarrassed many times and, and unhappy about things that we've said or done. I mean, think for just a moment about public figures. How many times do public figures tweet something and then 24 hours later they're walking it back? And, and what is it they say that we hear all the time? That wasn't me. I, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes they'll actually try to get away with saying, oh, somebody hacked my account. And then when, when it's clear that nobody hacked their account, I don't know why. That wasn't me. You know what I think? I think a lot of times that's the truth. Because here's the deal. Isn't it true that when you and I react to things instantly, we react in ways that really are contradictory to our own values? I mean, everybody who's in a love relationship knows what that's like. You reacted in some moment and you think, why did I say that? Well, it's important for us to be able to see distance because here's the thing. If you're in a love relationship, if you're married, you know, isn't it strange that we can wind up oftentimes saying the most hateful thing we ever say to the person we love the most? People who see distance know, I'm going to be in this marriage tomorrow. I'm going to be in this marriage next week. I'm going to be in this marriage six years from now. And I want to talk today respectful of the reality that it's way beyond, what's, what's going on in our lives is way beyond this particular moment and how we feel at this moment. Well, here's what I'm concerned about now. And again, I'm not picking on social media because I think it's got a lot of good applications. What I'm watching in our culture today is what used to be in anonymous postings on social media has now gotten into the groundwater of actual conversation. I noticed today that many people are very picky. You know, it, <laughs> it's important to believe what you believe, but so many times our culture is teaching us to be picky about little things. And, and here's the thing that I do know. You could take the very best, best person here today, whoever she is. I know it would be a woman. But you could take the <laughs> best person here today, and if you were with her 24-7, 
you could pick her apart. That could be true for any of us. Why are we, as such flawed people, getting so picky about stuff, oftentimes that doesn't even matter? You know, there's, there's legitimate offense when something is done that's wrong, but a lot of times I'm hearing a lot, a lot of stuff about people claiming they're offended about this or that. I'm not really sure they're all that offended. It's just become part of our culture to be picky. And I hear a lot of judgmental comments today. As a preacher of God's word, oftentimes when people hear what God has to say about something, they'll say, oh, I'm not judgmental. That seems to be the, it seems to be the comment du jour of our age. I'm not judgmental. And yet when I listen to how people talk, I, I don't think there's ever been a more judgmental culture than we're in today. When I hear the bullying and the shaming and just, just the unnecessary things that are said, what's happened is, and I'm just saying, it's moved from social media and now it's into our actual conversations. <clears throat> and I, I know it is what it is, and you could say, Mark, we're not going to change it. The train has left the station. I get that. But I'm just saying, doesn't God need some people in these times who have 2020 vision that don't get wrapped up in that? I mean, I think people who can see distance in America today, I know a lot of you are watching television around the world, but here in America, for those of you who are Americans, don't we realize that the way people are treating each other and talking to each other is a serious threat to our relationships? Man, if you're in a marriage, you need distance vision. You need distance vision when you talk. If you're a parent, you need distance vision. You need to be able to see behind what's going on in your car right now at this moment with the kids in the back seat. <laughs> at work, you want a long-term successful career? You need distance vision. You can't always say what you think in the moment. School and neighborhoods, just as fellow citizens, we need distance vision. We need it in the Christian community. There was an article that came out in a magazine, and there were polar responses, and I was, I was expecting that. People just see things differently. But what really troubled me was when I was looking at the comment threads, supposedly from the Christian community. I couldn't believe how hateful the rhetoric was. And I'm sure those, many, many of those people are very good people. They just have lost their distance vision. There's a word in the Bible, a verse, that talks about Controlling our tongue. And it could also be controlling our keyboards. In James chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, if you claim to be religious, and religious here just means if you claim you have a relationship with God. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Wow, you talk about something that gets in our grill today? In Proverbs 10, verse 19, this is a verse I think about all the time. The Bible says, where words are many, sin is not absent. In other words, <laughs> the more words we text, type, tweet, say, the more opportunity there is to say something wrong. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of keys as we go along, and here's one of the keys I want to give you. As Christ followers, it's wise to say, I can see distance even if blank can't. I can see distance even if my husband can't. I, I can see distance even if my wife can't. Lord knows. I can see distance even if my kids can't. Because, see, here's the important thing. Don't let someone else's nearsightedness pull you into their interpretation of reality. 
We talked a few moments ago about how couples get into arguments and they wind up saying the most hateful thing to the person they love the most. How does that happen? One person loses distance vision. One person doesn't take the long look. One person just reacts in the moment to whatever she or he's feeling at the time. And if, if you've ever been in a love relationship, you know, what, you know what happens next. Often, too often, the other person loses their distance vision. And there's this one-upmanship going on, and before you know it, there's a hateful argument filled with rhetoric that both people greatly regret the next day. Hey, let's, be able, let, let's say this in 2020. I can see distance even if the other person can't. You know, there's something else that's an important thing to think about in regard to spiritual nearsightedness, and that's in the area of choices. Because when it comes to making choices, a lot of people can't see distance. Now, the thing that I hear sometimes from nearsighted people is a statement that goes something like this. It's my choice. It's my decision. As a pastor through the years, many times I've counseled someone who is about to make a really bad decision. And when I share with them how it's not going to end well, they'll say, well, it's my choice. As though, as though saying it's my choice is the final word. But choice is not the final word. Outcome is the final word. The fact that something's your decision is not the end of the story. It's the outcome of your choice that's the end of the story. I remember the first time I ever shot a gun. I think it was about nine years old. <clears throat> I grew up on the south side of Fort Worth in the city, but my grandfather had a kind of a farm down in South Texas, and my dad, who'd grown up on the farm, well, kids just start shooting you know, when they're pretty young in the farm. And so dad was going to teach me to fire 22. So he took me down to my grandfather's pasture and showed me the gun, taught me some gun safety, taught me about the mechanics of the gun. And then um, he set up a target and he said something to me that I won't forget as long as I live. He said, now son, he said, you can't make a mistake with a gun. You can't unfire a gun. And he said, here's what you're going to have to remember it's critical that you aim in the right place because he said that bullet's going to land somewhere. I still remember, for those of you gals and guys who shoot, and you shoot 22s, you know you pick up a little box of cartridges. There's a little statement on the end of that cartridge that says range, one mile. And my dad showed me. He said, now you're going to shoot at something about 50 feet away, but he said it's got a range of one mile. And he pointed out a concrete wellhead, and he said, if that bullet drops and hits that wellhead, it could bounce back and kill you, could kill me, could kill your mother. At that point, I was scared thoroughly. <clears throat> so dad had to explain to me, <clears throat> it's one thing to aim a gun, it's something else where the bullet lands. And that's what's, what choices are like. We can say it's my choice, but <laughs> that's not the final word. The final word is what the outcome is. Nearsighted people spiritually talk differently from people who can see distance. Spiritually nearsighted people say, I feel like doing this, therefore I make this choice. People with 20-20 vision say, I see the outcome that I want, consequently I am making this choice. Well, let me give you another key. And I'm learning this one as I get older. Light makes vision clearer. Uh, <laughs> My, my vision started to tank. Really, well, let me just back up and tell you this. Uh, back when I turned 40, we were at the old location. And I, I woke up that morning, and it was a Sunday, and Mary Alice said, what are you going to do today about you turning 40? I said, I'm not going to do anything, but just ignore it. 
And she looked at me and said, good luck. <laughs> that was my first clue that something might be up. So when the Sunday night service was over, I think one of our board members walked up on stage. I thought that's kind of unusual. He said, well, we're having um, an event for Mark back in the Family Life Center. And at that point, crazy things began to happen. Somebody came in with a wheelchair <laughs> and a cane and all kinds of stuff. And they put me in that and they wheeled me back to the Family Life Center. And so they just generally abused me <laughs> for about an hour. They sang old songs. I mean, you know, it was just like, what can we do to make Mark feel bad about turning 40? Now I think 40 is a kid. But I remember we had an eye doctor in our church, and he said, he was also my optometrist at the time, he said, you know what, you turned 40, now your eyes are going to go. And they didn't, and I kept telling him, hey, every time I see him in church, I see great, I see great. I turned 43, pew, it's gone down ever since. <laughs> One thing I've noticed is my vision is changing. I've noticed that light makes a difference. Hey, sun shining bright. I can get in my car, I can see perfectly. I can see up close, I can see distance. But when it starts getting darker, I don't see as well. See, light makes vision sharper. Well, it's true in the spiritual realm because really we're going to get down now to what this whole sermon is about. The Bible says something about itself. Hey, in Psalm 119, which by the way, if you find Psalm 119, it's interesting. It's like right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 119 is also the longest chapter in the Bible. I think it's got like 175 verses. And every verse in Psalm 19 says something about the word of God. But in Psalm 119, 105, here's what scripture says. The Bible says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. In other words, without God's word in our lives, we have no hope of navigating reality successfully. One more example while we're talking about spiritual nearsightedness, and that's the importance of being able to see eternity. And I bring that up because I don't know why this time of year just brings more tragedy than any other time. But there's just going to be stuff that's going to happen to us in this life that there are going to be phone calls that you're going to get that are going to change your life. Prognoses from the doctor that are going to redirect your future down here in this world. It's just going to be stuff that there's, that's never going to be fixed in this world. But there's something about people who can see distance that right now it's really sad. But like, like Paul said when he prayed for those people in Ephesus to have spiritual vision, to know what the future holds. Because if I can see distance, it allows me to contextualize what's happening in my life right now. Well, I need to move on. You're a very smart audience. And you've already guessed where I'm going next, haven't you? Because you're saying, if Mark talked about spiritual nearsightedness, he's going to talk about spiritual farsightedness. And you are right. We're going to talk about hyperopia right now. Farsightedness is a common condition in which you can see distant objects clearly, but it's fuzzy up close. Vision's a strange thing. Isn't it interesting that a lot of us are in one of those two situations with physical sight? I mean, some of us can see up close real well, but we struggle with distance. Others of us... We can see, you know, distance okay, but up close it gets fuzzy. So it's interesting how we can be different in that regard. And when it comes to spiritual realities, if you're a person who's spiritually farsighted, you have loved this sermon up till now. You're like, tell a mark. 
they're out there. They can't connect the dots. All they see is what's going on right now. They can't look down the road. I'm so glad I came today. This is a great sermon. I'm gonna get this for my wife. <laughs> but before you love me too much, you better hang on for just a moment. Some of us, especially those of us who are type A, uber-driven, accomplishment-oriented people, we see distance great. Man, we can see the future. You want to start your own company. You, you have a business plan. You know where you want to go. Some of you right now, you're still in high school, but man, you know the educational trek that you want to take. I mean, you know where you're going. I mean, you can see distance great. Now, the reason why I pause here is I know our church. I know the personality of New Spring. There are going to be way more of you in this category than there were in the first category. <laughs> You probably, in large part, belong to this church because you're in this category. You, you achieve great things. You dream great things. You, you want great things. You, you see the future, and it's like, if I can just get there. But unfortunately, many of us forget and lose sight of what's right in front of us. Spiritually farsighted people tend to miss two things. They tend to miss people, and they tend to miss experiences. They're so busy accomplishing that they can have people right around them who need them that they can walk right past. My favorite Bible story is from John chapter 4. I grew up calling the story the Samaritan woman. It's the story of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is down in Judea. He needs to go up to Galilee, but he's got to go through Samaria. I've always said it would be like Judea is Texas and Galilee is Kansas and Samaria is Oklahoma. And the Jews did everything they could to avoid Samaria. And I always get mail from those of you from Oklahoma when I use this illustration. But I am from Texas. I've been pastor of this church for 35 years. I go back and forth to Texas all the time. So many times I thought if I could just push Oklahoma out of the way, it would be so easy to get to Texas. So now Jesus is down south and he wants to go north and he's got to go through Samaria. And he says to the disciples, we're going to go through Samaria. And they say, okay. But Jesus has intention for going through there. They stop outside this little town called Sychar in Samaria. And Jacob's well is there. So Jesus just stays by the well and says, guys, I'm going to stay here and rest for a while. And the disciples say, we're going to go into town and buy food. We can see distance. We're hungry. Food, the McDonald's is over there in Sychar. And so we're going to get food. Now, you know, if you know the story, what happens next? A woman comes out in the heat of the day. That's not when women get water. But she doesn't want to go out with the other women because she's the object of their gossip. She's been married five times, divorced five times, sleeping with a man who won't give her his name. I mean, it's like everything that can go wrong in a woman's life has gone wrong in her life. But isn't it interesting how that sometimes... There are people that the world kicks to the curb that God loves very much. Jesus made this trip because of her. And when she came to faith, she went back and touched off an evangelistic meeting that brought the whole town out to Jesus. I teach on that a lot because it's my favorite Bible story, but I don't know if you've ever thought about this. The woman coming out of town, the disciples going into town, they had to walk right past her. Maybe she just blended in with the sand. 
Maybe they took one look at her and said, isn't that too bad? See, those of us who are farsighted, we, we, we see distance and we see objectives and we're accomplishment-oriented, but we tend to miss people and we also tend to miss, here's the thing, some of us who are farsighted, we still see the people, but we miss the experiences and we don't celebrate. I've always tried to be honest with you about my failings. I always figured that way when you found out what I did wrong, it wouldn't be news. But this is a real issue for me. All, I'm the most driven person you've ever met. I mean, it's been 35 years here at New Spring. It will be in June. And it feels like it's gone like that because it was always the next, the next hill, the next objective, the next ministry, the next opportunity. And, 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 I, and I love that part that God has invested in me. But I've always been so driven that, in fact, I talked to Mary Alice before I came to the 4 o'clock service last night. And it was just one of those moments of just deep intimacy that a husband and wife would have with each other, and especially given the fact we've known each other since high school, so she knows me better than anybody else in the world. And I said to her, you know, Mary Alice, when, I have my when they have my funeral, and I hope it's a long time off, <laughs> but I said, when they have my funeral, there are going to be people who step on stage and they're going to say, Mark accomplished this and Mark accomplished that. And Mark achieved this. And Mark was this kind of leader. And Mark set this kind of goal. And he met that goal. And I said, that's what they'll stay on, stay on stage. But I said, I, I think the people who know me best will be in the family section saying, I wonder if dad enjoyed the trip. Just being honest. Painfully honest. See, when you're far-sighted, you see those objectives, but you can miss the things that are right up close. And hey, I was 28 when I came here, and I'm 63 now. You know, my, my kids were tiny when I came here. Stephen wasn't even born yet. For all of you who are empty nesters, I know that a lot of you are young, but for all of you who are empty nesters, the kid thing, doesn't it go like that? Would you like to have back some of those times? Some of you guys out here, you're very productive guys. You're very successful. Some of you ladies out here, you're at the top of your career, and there's always somebody wanting your advice or wanting your decision or wanting your insight or wanting to tell you about something. And before long, our lives of achievement can become so full that we can miss the people right around us who need us the most. Well, for all of us who are farsighted, the question for us is, can we see up close? I need to bring this message in for a landing. Well, you kind of figured where I was going with it so far, didn't you? Spiritual nearsighted, spiritually farsighted. There's one more vision that we may have to deal with. You know, there are people who can see pretty well, except for there's a hole in their vision. They have a macular hole. I called a good friend here at New Spring before the 4 o'clock service yesterday evening. He's a retina surgeon. His name is Joe Beck, and he's, he's the best of the best, and he's a dear friend and, and on our advisory council. And so I knew when I was going to talk about this macular hole, I thought I would just want to just bounce this off Joe. And he gave me the science behind the operation. He said it's his favorite operation to do. And the science blew me away. In fact, I thought after what I heard him say, I may just do a whole series on this Sunday. 
But he said one thing that I think it's important for us to take away before we go into the spiritual side of this. He said, if a macular hole is not dealt with, it will get bigger. And the longer it goes without being dealt with, the lower the surgery success rate. So spiritually speaking, what are we talking about when we talk about a hole in our vision? We're talking about some kind of contradiction, some kind of interior, internal contradiction. You know, a person who's got a macular hole, around that hole they may be able to see fine. It's just that area where the hole is that they can't see. And, and that's what I, I, I'm concerned about for many of us, is that ordinarily we can see real well, but because of this circumstance or because of this person, we have a hole in our vision. We said at the beginning, sight is the ability to process reality, to interpret it correctly, and make good decisions. Most of the time, we can interpret reality fine. It's just in this situation. Here's an example. And I don't counsel anymore, but back in the old days when I did counsel, I can't tell you how many times I would have someone come in, it was a Christ follower, a believer in our church, who wanted to get married, and they wanted to marry someone who was not a Christ follower, someone who's not a believer. And I would hear the Christ follower say this to me, I know what the Bible says. I know the Bible says that we should not be unequally yoked together. And I understand the Bible's calculus here that two people going opposite directions can't go forward. And they, they would, in essence, say, I know what the Bible says, but he's different. He makes me laugh. She's hot. <laughs> the guy would never say that out loud. I just knew that's what he was thinking. So I just <laughs> jumped ahead to the interpretation. It's, it's as if when you have a hole in your vision, it's like, I know how things normally work and normally I could give anybody good advice, but <laughs> reality's going to adjust for me. There's a hole in my vision. It's been one of the most peculiar things that I've observed in all my years of leading churches. How that some of the sweetest people in the world, some of the kindest, most gracious people could just have a hole in their vision. I remember a guy, he was at our old location, so it's been well over 20 years ago. He was a nice guy, friendly. We needed something done at the church, he'd volunteer and step up for it. And he would have done anything in the world for me. He loved me as a leader. But more than that, I mean, he loved our family personally. I, I remember in those days we had Sunday morning services, Sunday night services, and I had to go to Texas a lot. I was on the board of directors for an organization and spoke a lot in that area. So oftentimes our family would get in the car Sunday night after church and leave about 8 o'clock and then drive to Texas. And whenever that was happening, he would say to me, call me when you get to the Metroplex. And I would say, I can't call you. It's going to be 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't care. I'm going to stay up until you call me. He was that kind of guy. But he had a hole in his vision. He was a racist. Something had happened when he was young. And from that point on, he had a hole in his vision. And you know what? Ultimately, it broke our fellowship. Because I can't walk down the road with a racist. I've seen it happen in so many areas. You know, a person can be loving and gracious, but then someone gets on their bad list. You know what I'm talking about. 
I mean, how many times do you know somebody and they're talking about a person that you both know and for a while that person's on their good list and it's like all their good qualities, but then somehow this person has a tipping point and now they're on the bad list and they're a bad person and nobody can ever say anything good about that person anymore in their presence because they have a hole in their vision. There's an internal contradiction. The weird thing is in other relationships, they may just be fine. I guess the area I've seen it most prevalent in, in all my years of pastoring and leading and ministering to people, is in the area of bitterness. Do you remember what Dr. Beck told me about the hole in the retina when he said, if it's not dealt with, it'll get bigger and ultimately it'll threaten the cure? That's how bitterness works. Bad stuff is going to happen to all of us. Injustice is part of life. But if we're not careful, we can develop bitterness. And and have you ever known somebody, they're optimistic and positive about most things until they get to this area where they've been hurt. And then all of a sudden, it's like they change altogether. But the strange thing is they never seem to get past that. And no matter how many times you talk to them, the conversation may start off very beautiful and, and optimistic, but then there's always a gravity, an emotional gravity that pulls them back to what happened to them. And it's like they just stopped living at that. I think about a silly story from my childhood every time I think about that. I grew up on the south side of Fort Worth, just on the border, basically, between the city and the country. Now, Forest Hill is a city on its own, but when we moved there in 1960, when I was four years old, it it was just basically in the country, but in the city. And I had friends who had horses. But I, I somehow convinced my dad that we needed to have some chickens. So here we are, I mean, you know, we're in the city of Fort Worth, but we have chickens. And I had a good time with that and, you know, raised them, got more. And after a while, I think I had about 10 or 12. And and now that I'm telling the story, I I remembered something that happened. One of them just showed up dead one day. Well, not the chicken was dead, and I didn't know. And Dad kind of looked it over. He grew up on the farm. But the next night, in the middle of the night, about 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning, we heard this awful screaming coming from the chicken coop. I mean, these chickens were just making these unearthly noises I never heard chickens make before. And dad got me up and he went out there and he looked into the chicken coop with his flashlight and he said, we have an opossum. Now dad's from South Texas. He didn't say opossum. He said, we have a possum. Now I had a dog named Scotty. I had him from the time I was three till the time I was 16. Scotty, I don't know what breed he was. It probably would have filled a phone book, but Scotty was about that big around and he had legs about that long and he wasn't scared of anything. There wasn't a dog he couldn't whip. And usually, all you would have to say to Scotty is sick him, and then boom, he was going to charge. So we got Scotty and went out there, you know, and, and, and Daddy said to Scotty, sick him. And Scotty just hung back there because it was dark, and you know how light, without light, you don't have good vision? And Scotty didn't know what was in there, so Dad said, sick him. Scotty just stood there. So being from the country, Dad just picked Scotty up by his hide and threw him in <laughs> chicken coop. And once Scotty got in there, he was TCOB. I mean, he was taking care of business. That was 50 years ago, but I could still hear that opossum's bones crackling as Scotty killed him. And when he killed him, we couldn't get the carcass away from Scotty. I mean, it took my dad about 30 minutes and a lot of bait and switch to finally get him to let that carcass go. I took it, buried it in the garden and thought, okay, that's it. We went back to bed, got up for breakfast the next morning. We're all at the back door 
And there's Scotty sitting there triumphantly. And at his feet <laughs> is the carcass of that opossum that we buried the night before. And when he was sure he had an audience, and he waited till he had an audience, when he was sure he had an audience, he killed it all over again. <laughs> I mean, he killed it all over the backyard, parts flying everywhere. <laughs> Took me another 30 minutes to get what was left of the opossum away from Scotty, and I buried it again. The next morning I get up, there's Scotty at his feet, what was left of the opossum. He killed it all over again. I buried that possum in so many cemeteries in the backyard of our house, and he would find it every time until there was nothing left. When I see wonderful people who get bitter, I think about that story with Scotty. Something happened. Probably wasn't fair. It was unjust, but there was a time to bury it. There was a time to bury it, but they go and they dig it up. And it decays, and it gets worse over time. And it begins to define their lives. Well, it's time to end the sermon. And we've talked about three kinds of vision problems that we need to overcome. The ability of not being able to see the future, the ability of being able to see the future but not seeing what's right here, and also having a hole in our vision. You know, the good news on a physical level for all three of these issues, there are corrections. There are corrections for nearsightedness, farsightedness. My friend Joe does a lot of surgeries. Helps people move on from having holes in their vision. A couple things are required to get a correction for vision. Number one is you have to admit you have a problem. You ever know somebody who won't admit they can't see well? And then you have to go to the doctor who can do what needs to be done. Today, if we're struggling to see clearly the answer, well, I got one question, and this will be the end of the message. The question is, what place does this book have in your life? It's as simple as that. Because I'm going to tell you, we're just not smart enough. We don't know the future. Consequently, there is no way we can process reality without this book. Because you can be the smartest person in the world, but you don't know what's going to happen an hour from now. The only way you can live your life in the reality of understanding what is real, not only today, but for the future, is with God's Word. So, real quickly, one question. What place does this book have in your life? Well, there are four possibilities. The first possibility is no place. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. That is what it means to be spiritually blind. That's what the Bible calls spiritual blindness. You just can't see. You're just feeling your way along in life. I don't fear that today as much at New Spring. The second thing could be that the Bible has a small place in our lives. And maybe you listen to a sermon every once in a while, listen to some Christian radio if I like the music. The Bible's got a small place. I mean, it's, it's a voice, but it's among the other voices. It's among the voice of entertainment and peers and well, the problem with small Bible having a small place in our lives is that we can't see clearly. I, I've got friends, their physical vision, they can make out shapes, but they don't have any definition. They're light sensitive, but they can't really see. But I really don't fear that one so much at New Spring. It's the next one. 
Because for some people, the Bible has an advisory role in their lives. They love the Bible. They believe the Bible mostly. But when the Bible says something, it's like, okay, I'll take that into consideration. And I hear that a lot today. Well, I've got friends who can see at certain times of the day. You know, in the middle of the day, they can see fine. They just can't see well in the morning, can't see well in the evening. And it means that their life is herky-jerky. But for us today, for all of us who want to see clearly, it's so important that the Bible has a place in our lives, that it's not a small place, and that it's not just an advisory role. It's so important that the Bible is authority in our lives. Something is going to be the authority in your life. Either friends or your point of view or the culture, whatever. Something will be the authority. When you let God's word be the authority in your life, suddenly you're able to see definition. It's like high definition. And when we see when we see what God has to say and we let it be the authority in our lives, there's something that begins to happen. We can see clearly for what's going on right here. We can see clearly for the distance and we actually begin to be able to help others around us who can't see so well. So, happy new year. May God bless you and all you love and may God give all of us spiritual 2020 vision. See you soon. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.